This is Barry Zelma, Zelma on insurance. I am an attorney who has retired from the practice of law and now spend my time acting as an insurance claims consultant or insurance claims expert witness as well as an author and producer of these videos. Today we will talk about adjusting the commercial property loss. The adjustment of a commercial property loss is performed in the same manner as any other property loss with the difference being tone rather than substance. Adjusters who usually deal with a business entity and its officers or employees rather than an individual like a homeowner find claims handling is often but not necessarily always easier. The experienced adjuster who deals with commercial claims usually has knowledge of the business and the people who operate the business. Some insurers even assign a single adjuster to a major commercial insured to handle all claims presented by the commercial insured. Familiarity and a good working relationship over a period of months or years benefits both the insured and the insurer. A fire can be devastating for a business if the business is not rapidly put back to work after the fire is extinguished. The adjuster must recognize this fact and act quickly to complete a fair and thorough investigation. To adjust the commercial property loss, the adjuster must be familiar with the coverages and be ready to read and understand the policy. An adjuster must always be absolutely certain which endorsements apply to the insured. The adjuster reviews the loss notice and re-reviews the coverages to ascertain which coverages apply to the type of loss reported. He or she makes immediate contact with the insured so that he or she may inspect the loss and complete a thorough investigation. If there is a potential loss of earnings, it is important to collect as much business documentation as possible so the history of the business can help the adjuster and his or her consultants determine the amount of loss. Loss of earnings forms vary greatly. It is important that the terms and conditions are explained to the insured and why the adjuster should collect documents for analysis, possibly by a forensic accountant, including at the very least, four years of corporate tax returns, four years of profit and loss statements and balance sheets, bank account statements and canceled checks, if there are checks actually being produced. If not, then the electronic version of account statements and canceled checks one year of source documents on payroll expenses, costs that continue, costs that do not continue, leases, contracts, and any other relevant business documents, 
And if business information is kept on computer, the software used in a backup copy on a disk is necessary for the adjuster or the retained forensic accountant to work up the amount of loss. The adjuster must always conduct a thorough investigation at the scene of loss. He or she must establish the cause and origin of the loss and obtain a general idea of the extent of loss and what expert assistance will be required to complete the investigation and adjustment. If cause and origin of the loss are not obvious, it is imperative that the adjuster retain the services of a cause and origin expert or engineer. For example, if it is a fire loss, the adjuster must decide if a fire cause investigator is needed. If it is a theft or business interruption loss, the adjuster must determine if the assistance of a forensic accountant is needed. If so, the adjuster should advise management that the loss requires the assistance of a company general adjuster who is more experienced and knowledgeable than the average workaday adjuster. If a general adjuster is not available, the adjuster must determine whether the loss is too complex for his or her skill level or involves legal issues, the adjuster must obtain authority to retain an insurance coverage lawyer experienced in major losses, commercial insurance coverage issues, and or potentially fraudulent claims. The attorney will provide advice and counsel to the adjuster who will assist as a lawyer the adjuster to make it possible to complete the adjustment of the complex commercial claim. If at any time in the investigation it appears that the loss is suspicious, that there is a possibility that fraud is being attempted, that the coinsurance clause may come into effect to punish the insured and limit the insured's recovery, that, that there may be a penalty under a reporting form or that a condition or warranty in the policy may have been violated or breached by the insured, the adjuster must immediately ask the insured to sign a non-waiver agreement, or if the insured is unwilling to sign the non-waiver agreement, issue a thorough reservation of rights letter. Sometimes it is even worthwhile to hire a lawyer to help the adjuster file and prepare an appropriate reservation of rights letter. The non-waiver agreement is preferred because it is a mutual agreement between the insured and the insurer that nothing done in the investigation of the claim will act to change the position of the parties or waive any of their rights either party has under the contract. If the insured is unwilling to sign a non-waiver agreement because the insured does not understand it and wishes to seek the advice of counsel, the, the insured should be requested to seek that advice. There is no time when an adjuster should tell an insured that it is improper or ineffective or just not wanted to, for the insured to hire a lawyer. Rather, the adjuster should recommend 
that, of course, we would be pleased if you hire a lawyer. However, since waiver could cause a problem, the adjuster should not delay the investigation for more than the time necessary to issue and deliver a thorough and detailed reservation of rights letter to the insured. The investigation continues pursuant to the reservation of rights. The non-waiver agreement and the reservation of rights letter are equally effective for maintaining the status quo while the investigation is being conducted. However, the non-waiver is preferred because it is a mutual agreement. In Scottsdale Insurance Company versus MV Transportation, a California court, Supreme Court decision in 2005, the issue on appeal was whether an insurer that had properly reserved its rights could obtain reimbursement of its expenses of defending its insured against a third-party lawsuit where it was determined as a matter of law that the policy never afforded any potential for coverage and there was no duty to defend. The court held yes in reaching its decision. The court uh, discussed its length, its prior holding in Bus versus Superior Court, a 1997 case that required the insurer to prove what part of the defense it provided was not covered under any circumstances. A Colorado District Court found that the insurer properly asserted an exclusion from coverage and moreover, defendant's reservation of rights from the insurer sufficiently informed the insured of the potential grounds for denial of the claim. As the letter included policy language describing several exclusions, including wear and tear, deterioration, weather, and faulty construction, design, or maintenance, the same policy language on which the insured relied. This was a case called Gallegos versus Safeco Insurance Company, a 2015 Colorado district court decision. Though insurers sometimes send a reservation of rights letter even when problems have not surfaced as a result of the initial investigation in first-party cases, this function is merely to protect the insurer against claims of waiver and bad faith claims. Some cases indicate that a reservation of rights letter somehow causes an insurer to anticipate litigation and the Southern District of Florida did not find that case persuasive. In Gable's condo uh, versus Empire Indemnity, a 2019 case. Now, the commercial property adjuster will often find that the insured retains the services of a public adjuster. The public adjuster is an insurance claims adjuster who works only for the insured on first-party property claims. In California, a specific statute called the Public Adjuster Act is codified at California Insurance Code Section 15,000 at SEC. The California Insurance Code defines a public adjuster as, quote, 
A public insurance adjuster is a person who, for compensation, acts on behalf of or aids in any manner and insured in negotiating for or effecting the settlement of a claim or claims for loss of damage under any policy of insurance covering real or personal property. Close quote. The trial court in a case called Building Permit Consultants, Inc. found that building permit consultants' multiple claims allegedly arose from and were based upon a voidable contract to provide public insurance adjuster services that were regulated and licensed by the Department of Insurance. And that failure had been raised and asserted as a defense to the enforcement of the public adjuster's contract. The trial court concluded that the contract was void and all of the claims alleged by the public adjuster necessarily failed. A public insurance adjuster is not practicing law and may practice the profession without being sanctioned by the state bar. In Texas, a court concluded that providing an estimate of property damage and filling out the appropriate forms to present a claim does not constitute the practice of law. In reality, this is the same procedure any insured is required to follow to collect on an insurance policy. The fact that a public adjuster is paid for his services and expertise does not convert his actions into the practice of law. However, if the issue to be submitted to an insurance company involves a coverage dispute, then the services of an attorney are required. This is a case called Kubala Public Adjusters versus the Unauthorized Practice of Law Committee, a 2004 decision of the uh, Court of Appeal in Texas. Similarly, in South Carolina, insureds brought action against public adjusters for a declaratory judgment that they engaged in the unauthorized practice of law and that the contract was void. The Supreme Court held that one adjusters engaged in the unauthorized practice of law by advising the insureds on the extent of coverage and becoming involved in a known coverage dispute, and two, they were entitled to compensation only for their activities not amounting to the practice of law, and three, the contract was not void, and four, no private right of action exists for the unauthorized practice of law. This was a South Carolina case called Linder versus Insurance Claims Consultant that was decided in 2002. Most states regulate public adjusters. In California, the California Insurance Code strictly limits the actions of public adjusters. The contract the public adjuster has the insured signed appoints the public adjuster as the agent of the insured for the purpose of making the claim and gives the public adjuster a lien against the proceeds. The basic common law of the United States allows an agent to act for a principal, the insured. 
The public adjuster therefore acts as an agent for the insured, the principal under the public adjuster content, contract. Basic insurance law allows the insured at his or her option to assign away any portion or all of the proceeds of the policy. Some policies even allow the insured to recover indemnity for the work of their employees or public adjusters in presenting a claim. The adjuster must carefully review the policy coverage to determine if the insured has coverage for the services of the public adjuster. If it does, payment should be made on a quantum merit basis, that is the reasonable value of the services, rather than the adjuster's usual contingency fee. This uh, video was adapted from my book, Adjusting Property Claims, 2nd Edition, available as a Kindle book or a paperback from Amazon.com or by going to Zalma.com and clicking on the link for the Insurance Claims Library. If you found this video to be useful to you, or at least of interest, please refer your colleagues to the blog and subscribe to my blog. Thank you again for your attention.